0: You are listening to audio from Pastor Mark Driscoll. To find more helpful content like this, as well as daily devotions, Ask Pastor Mark videos, resources for leaders, and much more, visit markdriscoll.org. While there, you can also make a donation that will help support the ministry and subscribe to continue getting Bible-based teaching. If you live in or are visiting the greater Phoenix Valley, please feel free to come and see Pastor Mark at the Trinity Church in Scottsdale, Arizona. Thank you for listening and being a part of Mark Driscoll Ministries. And remember, it's all about Jesus. How many of you have been to a children's hospital or a children's wing in a hospital? Um, it's, it's one of the most emotionally difficult places to be. It's, 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 it's just overwhelming, honestly, when you see beautiful faces of young children that are in the process of struggling to, to remain alive. I'll, I'll never forget, I was a, a young pastor, oh gosh, it was 20-some years ago, and uh, somebody in the church was pregnant, a newly married couple, cute as can be. Pastor Mark, we have, we're pregnant with twins. Oh my golly, that's, that's a lot. And, uh, and then uh, they kind of kept me updated, and, and then I got the call, hey, things are not going well, we're rushing to the hospital. I said, okay, well, let me finish up some stuff and get to the hospital as quick as I can. Show up at the hospital, premature birth, two baby boys, very, very premature, very, very, very small. And uh, both are on ventilators, hooked up to machines, monitoring their progress. I asked the nurse, I said, I'm the pastor, I'm here to comfort this family. Where are we at? And she said, this little boy is doing pretty good. It looks like he's got a fighting chance, that other little boy, he's almost done. I just, I just was heartbroken. It just hit me. Something has gone profoundly wrong in the world. This is not the way it's supposed to be. And if you walk around the children's wing of a hospital or a children's hospital, you're going to see little kids fighting for their life. You're going to see parents that are sleeping at the hospital. They're up day and night. They're, they're spending every dime they've gotten more. Uh, they're in a desperate position. Perhaps the only thing worse than suffering is watching your child or grandchild suffer. Some of you know exactly what this feels like. You're suffering. You're suffering today. You're fighting for health and wellness. 70% of Americans are on some form of prescription medication, our bodies are broken. 50% of Americans are on two or more prescription medications. I just prayed just a short bit ago between services for a man who goes in Tuesday for leukemia treatment. He's battling for his life, and his wife was asking for prayer along with him. Some of you, this is your issue. This is your fight. This is your season. For some of you, it's people you know and love, and you care about, and you're worried about them. For some of you, it's your own child or your grandchildren, your brother, your sister, your niece, your nephew. Where we find ourselves in the story today is uh, in John chapter 4, we see uh, a little boy who's sick and dying. And to emotionally connect with the story, I need you to think of a a kid that you love. Your kid, your grandkid, your niece, your nephew, some, some cute little face that you really care about. And there's a daddy who loves his son and is wanting his son to be healed. I need you to emotionally connect with that. And what we're going to do today is we're going to look at at what happens when sick people meet Jesus and when Jesus intervenes in the life of those who are struggling and suffering. And uh, I want to teach this sermon today as your pastor who loves you and wants to unburden you and be of help of service to you. So I just want to thank you in advance for giving me an opportunity to teach. And uh, we'll start in John chapter 4. And we learn in the Bible that death is an enemy. Sometimes people will tell you, oh, death's just part of the natural process. No, it's not. It's an enemy. 1 Corinthians 15, the Apostle Paul calls death an enemy. Kids shouldn't be hooked up to machines. Funerals shouldn't happen. Holes should not be dug to place people in. Final goodbyes should never occur. When God made the world he made it good and very good and he made it alive and very alive and sin has caused death to come into the world and as a result things are not the way that God intended them to be nor are they the way that God will conclude them to be forever and we see this enemy come for this little boy John chapter 4 beginning in verse 46. So he, Jesus, came again to Canaan in Galilee where he had made the water into wine. Jesus is now at the early phase of his ministry. His first miracle was turning water into wine. And then he did some traveling and ministering. And now he's returning back to that region that he did his initial miracle. And at Capernaum there was an official. That's a political leader. Think of someone who is affluent, educated, and has a lot of resources. We're going to learn that not only do they have a family, they have an entire household. What this means is they own land, they have money, they're successful. He is a high-ranking political leader. Likely means as well that he has some sort of military background, understands chain of command. This is a man of means who can get things done. But his son was ill. Sometimes you have a God-sized problem. He's powerful, but he doesn't have the power that's needed to heal his son. He's rich, and he's probably extended all of his finances. Some of you know what this is like. You have tremendous medical debt. He's tried all of the conventional medicine. He's tried all of the alternative medicine. Whatever has gripped his son is winning, and his son is dying. Sometimes you have a God-sized problem. This man has a God-sized problem. And just think about that. How many of you, when your child gets sick... There's, there's an anxiety that comes upon you. There's a fear that grips you. Are they okay? How many of you have seen your child battle for health and wellness? How many of you have actually been in that moment where you thought, we could lose this child? We could lose this child. Gracie and I have five kids. We had a miscarriage, otherwise we'd have six. It's, it's really difficult to even conceive of losing a child, and then to watch that child suffer. This daddy has witnessed his son become lethargic. He's laying in bed. The color has left his face. He's dropped weight. He's not coherent. He's not mobile. He is dying. When this man heard that Jesus had come from Judea to Galilee... He went to him and asked him to come down to heal his son, for he was at the point of death. He hears, Jesus is back in the region, so the word has gotten out. And if my geography is correct, it's about 18 miles away. And so we can venture that he drops everything that he's doing. Isn't it amazing that some things seem really important until something really important occurs, and then all of a sudden what was really important doesn't even matter? He doesn't delegate this. He does this. He walks away from his job and he jumps, I believe, on a horse. He's a man of means. And just think of a father who is panicked, frantic, fearful, hoping, trusting, praying. I can get the 18 miles to Jesus. I can get Jesus and bring him home. And maybe he can heal my son. And maybe I can get Jesus and my son together so that my son will be healed before he dies. He was at the point of death. And I want you to see what his request is. He wants to ask Jesus to come to his son. He doesn't have a concept that Jesus can heal from a distance. I just need to get Jesus to my son. So Jesus said to him, it's interesting how he comes to Jesus. Sometimes God will allow hardship in our lives to be used to bring us to himself. Okay? I'm not saying that God caused this. There's no indication that God made the little boy sick or the family had secret hidden sin. Or There's no indication of that. But sometimes when pain and problems come, we find ourselves pushed toward Jesus. And ultimately, something that can be very brutal and very painful becomes very helpful. Some of you understand that you've you've come to the Lord Jesus through a season of pain and problems. This man would not have come to Jesus unless his son was in pain and they had this problem. Because of this problem and this pain, he goes to Jesus. This is what I would encourage you. Whatever pain or problem you have, you need to come to Jesus and you need to bring that pain or problem to Jesus with you. That's exactly what this man does. And the story continues. So Jesus said to him, unless you see signs and wonders, you will not believe. There are two primary ways, in my experience, that people come to faith in Jesus, through persuasion or through power. Uh, Some of you came to Jesus through persuasion. You're like me. I didn't have a crisis in my life. I was in college. I'm studying philosophy and history and anthropology and sociology and psychology. And everybody's got an opinion about Jesus. And most of it is negative. So I start reading the Bible and looking at philosophers and examining other world religions and finding answers to my questions and objections. For me, coming to Christ was largely persuasion. How many of you are like that? My nerd friends? Okay, you can tell who we are. We're taking notes, right? That's those people, okay? You're taking notes. We're those people. It's persuasion. Some people come to Jesus through power. They have a God-sized problem, and God's power shows up to alleviate their pain and problem. This is how my mom came to faith. She was the first devout believer in our immediate family. She went to a prayer meeting with some women, and they laid hands and prayed over her, and God healed her supernaturally, miraculously. And that convinced my mom of God's existence and love and presence and provision. And so for her, it was power. And she told me that story often as a little boy, uh, Marky. That's what she calls me. You can call me Pastor Marky. She calls me Marky still. She still calls me Marky. And, uh, and she would tell me growing up, God is alive. God is real. God hears and answers prayer. And then she would tell me the story of how God healed her. So my mom came to faith in Jesus through power. I came to faith in Jesus through persuasion. Jesus looks at this man and he says, you're not going to come to faith unless you see power. Here's what I love about Jesus. He is willing to serve you in the way that is most helpful for you to meet him. You know that somebody loves you when they're willing to accommodate you so that they can welcome you. Jesus is like that. He accommodates us. He loves us. He serves us in the way that he knows we will most receive his welcome toward relationship. So he looks at this man and he says, you're going to need power. I love you. So I'm going to give you power. But ultimately, it's so that we can have a relationship. The official said to him, sir, come down before my child dies. Do You hear the angst? How many of you, you you know exactly what this feels like? You've lost a child, a grandchild. Someone you love is struggling and fighting for life right now. The story continues. Next slide. So Jesus said to him, go, your son will live. That's not a lot of information. Amen, that's not a lot. How many of you, you'd want footnotes, a contract, some witnesses, like that's it, that's all I get? Go, you'll be fine. Oh, really, that's it? Well, okay. Go, your son will live. God can heal through the power of his word. God brought all of creation into existence through the power of his word. When God speaks, creation obeys. Here Jesus speaks healing, and as a result, healing will happen. And I love how it says this. The man believed the word that Jesus spoke to him and went on his way. This is faith. We read in Romans uh, 10, 17 that faith comes by hearing the word of God. So this man hears the word of God and faith springs to life in him and he trusts in the word of God. He trusts in the promise of Jesus. Let me tell you this about faith. Faith is two elements. It is an internal conviction that leads to an external action. It's an internal conviction that leads to an external action. Some authors in the New Testament, like the Apostle Paul, they'll focus a lot on the internal conviction. Other authors in the New Testament, like James, will emphasize the external action. It's both. It's both. Here's how we see it here. The man what? Believe. That's an internal conviction. He said, I found bedrock for my soul. I believe that this is true. I trust that this is true. I embrace this reality that Jesus is speaking. That's the internal conviction. The external action, he went on his way. Faith is not just what you believe, it's how you behave. This man knows very little, but he obeys what he knows. Faith is obedience to what you know. Faith is obedience to what you know. Part of the myth in many Christian circles is the more you know, the godlier you are. It doesn't always work that way. The Bible says that knowledge can pop us up with pride. The Bible says, do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves, do what it says. This man knows very little, but he's obedient to what he knows. Now, I I don't want to discourage studying. I'm a pastor. I study. I love to learn. Some of you, though, you don't need more information. You need more obedience. Right? How many of you, let's just give you an example. You go to your doctor. You're like, I eat bad and I feel bad. And they said, well, then things are going to change for your health to change. You say, I believe that. And you don't do anything. (laughs) So I don't know what happened, doc. I read seven books on health. And I I still kept my Edo's diet, taquitos, Doritos, burritos, Cheetos, Fritos. I kept my Edo's diet and I don't feel good. It's not just how much you know, it's obedience to what you know. It's obedience to what you know. Some of you, God has already spoken to you. God has already revealed to you. God has already directed you. You know exactly what to do. You're just not doing it. Then you'll ask, well, what can I read or how can I learn? You say, well, you got to obey what you already know. Faith is obedience to what... You know, this man knows very little, right? I mean, here's what he's got. His total theological instruction is a sentence. That's all he's got. That's not much. And what does he do? He obeys what he knows to be true. Faith is obedience to what you know to be true. And faith works itself out in obedience. I'll give you an example. When my kids were little... um, tried to teach him how to swim. Summer would come, I'd get in the pool, and I'd tell the kids, okay, jump, dad will catch you. And they'd say, no, no, unbelief. The Bible calls it unbelief, okay, <laughs> unbelief. No, dad will catch you. How do I know that you will catch me? I raise small attorneys. That's what we raise at our house, small attorneys. So now the negotiation begins, and I've got to put together my case. Well, um, under cross-examination, I have a firm foundation. I am set. I love you. I'm present. I can for sure hold your body weight. Look at me. Uh, so jump. Kids would be like, no. Do you trust your dad? They would say, Yes, I'm just not jumping. Then you don't trust your dad. Trust, trust means jump and dad will catch you. God's a father. There are times he's like, trust me. And you're like, ha no. <laughs> Any other books to read? Podcasts to listen to? <laughs> Any other options? No, no, no. You need to trust dad and you need to obey. And faith is that leap, not into the unknown, but into the father's hands. Okay surrendering and yielding the outcome to him and trusting that he is good for his promises. Something else about faith. Faith is like a muscle. The more you exercise it, the stronger it gets. This is the first time that this man has actually exercised faith. He's actually obeying what he knows to be true. He believed and he left. How many of you, that would be hard. Jesus says, Your son's 18 miles away, he'll be fine, good day. How many of you would be like, "Uh, Jesus, just to be safe, why don't you get on my horse, and we'll both go there. It'll be an amazing opportunity for us both to confirm this fact. And on the off chance that you got it wrong, then you can fix it. Right? Now, he just jumps on his horse, and he departs. He departs. And he leaves this future into God's hands. Next slide, please. As he was going down, he's traveling, his servant met him. So somebody on his staff is coming to bring him the news and they meet somewhere along the way. Told him that his son was recovering. Oh, he's eating. He's sitting up in bed. He's talking. He's drinking. The colors come back in his face. He wants to go out and play. We said, wait a little bit. He, he's, 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 he's better. He's better. He's better. So he asked him the hour when he began to get better. He said, well, when when did this happen? They said yesterday at the seventh hour, the fever left him. That's one o'clock. At one o'clock, Jesus said he's healed. And at one o'clock, he was healed. Here's what I want you to see. Jesus can heal from a distance. Where's uh, Spoiler alert, Jesus is alive right now. Okay. (laughs) And he's seated in heaven. He's not here. Some of you would wonder, well, can he heal? Yeah, we learn right here, he can heal from a a distance. He can heal from a distance. He still heals from a distance. He still heals from a distance. Jesus said he would be healed, and he was healed. Because the word of God is living and active. Because when God's word goes forth into God's world, nothing is more powerful than the authority of God's word. Now, Grace and I had a conversation about this in the kitchen. I read this, and I walked in the kitchen. I was like, what What the? Read this, baby. Okay, so when was the son healed? Okay. So 1 o'clock, the son was healed. The dad apparently did not get on his horse and just ride home because he's halfway home the next day. How many of you, if you were told, your child is healed... You would go see them as quickly as possible. This man waited. I don't know why. This could be something to discuss in your life group. But maybe, maybe he traveled all night. By the time he got to Jesus, he was worn out. He's like, I'm glad this is taken care of. I'm going to take a nap, go to Costco, and then go home. (laughs) I don't know. Or maybe he had such faith that for him, it was just time to rest and rejoice. Maybe there was a peace. Oh, good. My son's great. Oh, good. I'm going to go take a nap, get a good night's sleep. And I'll go see him tomorrow. Tomorrow. The father knew that this was the hour when Jesus said to him, your son will live. And he himself believed and all his household. Okay, I want all you parents to see that. We want you to believe and your kids to believe and your grandkids to believe. This man is the first believer in his home and he goes home and he tells his wife and his kids and then their servants and he has a large extended staff of some sort or kind. He tells them about Jesus. They all fall in line and worship Jesus. Statistically, if a wife converts, the husband does not. Statistically, if a husband converts, the wife does. Okay? So, I love all of you. I want to invite the men to change the legacy of their family. Okay, here at the Trinity Church, we say we open our Bibles to learn, we open our lives to love, so that lives and legacies are transformed. That's our entire mission as a church. Not only do we want you to know and love Jesus and have him transform your life, we want your legacy changed. Your kids, your grandkids. The Bible says that we worship the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. That's three generations. That's what we want for you. That's what this man experiences. He meets Jesus. His family meets Jesus. Now we're talking generational legacy of transformation. So this is incumbent and important. I in no ways want to discourage the ladies in any way, but in the Christian church, about 60% of church attenders are female. Only about 40% are male. There's between 11 and 13 million more women in church than men. And then sometimes the... The the boys grow up and say, real men don't worship Jesus, because my dad doesn't. Real men don't sit under God's word, because my dad doesn't. Real men don't pray, because my dad doesn't. Or you could flip that and say, real men do worship, and do sit under the word of God, and do pray, because my dad does. We want that to be normal in your home, in your life, in your legacy, for your family. This man goes home. How much does he know about Jesus? Very little. Like, you hand him a three-by-five card, he's not going to fill it up. He doesn't know that much. Okay? But he tells his family what he knows. I want you men to just take that at face value. Obey what you know and share what you learn. Okay? God will honor that. God will bless that. And he himself believed in all his household. This was now the second sign that Jesus did when he had come from Judea to Galilee. The first was turning the water into wine. Now couple of things. Number one, Jesus cares about your kids. That's encouraging. If you have kids, you know that they need Jesus. And you're asking Lord Jesus, do you care? Yes, he does. He pays attention to what God comes to earth and pays attention to the needs of one little boy, one little boy, your son, your daughter, your grandson, your granddaughter, your niece, your nephew, your little brother, your little sister. God cares about them. Jesus has a heart for them. And at face value, there was only one healing that happened in this family. The truth is, the whole family was healed. Healing in the Bible exists both as an external and an internal reality. The external is the healing of your body, uh, the internal is the healing of your heart, your soul. You can not only have a broken bone, the, body sa- the Bible says, rather, that you can also have a broken heart. Some of you, your need today is primarily physical. You're in pain, you're struggling, you're suffering you're standing in the gap for someone who is some of you your pain is largely internal it's emotional you have a broken heart you've been betrayed, abandoned you've got marriage hurt, kid hurt, work hurt, church hurt there's hurt there that needs to be healed your heart needs to be healed Um, one of my ministries is to men most men who are angry they need inner healing because they're hurt and as a result they've let their hurt turn into hate Some of you are emotionally unhealthy, some of you are physically unhealthy, some of you are both. The boy got physical healing, the father got emotional spiritual healing. See, the father goes to Jesus, he's like, my son needs you. Jesus is like, you need me too. Because everybody needs Jesus, amen? Everybody needs Jesus. Some of you are here and you're like, my kids are horrible, I'm taking them to church. Well, you need Jesus too. Okay? And what happens is this father and his household, they get healed with inner healing. He's not anxious anymore. He's calm. He's not stressed. He has peace and relief. His soul that was in the process of dying is now living in relationship with God. His emotional life that was broken is now healed up and he has joy. That when we think of healing, it is outer, it is inner. God cares about the whole person. Jesus can heal the whole person. Some of you are here, and what you really need is physical healing. Some of you are here, and what you really need is emotional and spiritual healing. And I love the fact that when you come to Jesus, you get a lot more than you were expecting. This dad was like, I just need one thing. Heal my son. Jesus says, I'm also going to save you and your family Inner healing for everyone and outer healing for one. That's how wonderful and good Jesus is to this family. And he loves your family as he loves this family. It's good news, amen? It's encouraging, it's hopeful. What happens invariably when we hit the issue of healing, and this is the first healing miracle in John's gospel, there will be others that come. If my memory is correct, Jesus heals 27 individuals in the New Testament. On 10 occasions, he heals groups of people. On 7 occasions, people are being oppressed by the demonic, and he delivers them from the demonic, and as a result, they receive subsequent physical healing. Jesus preached, and he taught, and he delivered people from demonic oppression, and he healed people. All of this is his public ministry. And it invariably raises questions among God's people. Can I be healed? Can they be healed? Why did God heal them? Why doesn't God heal them? Can we do something that would compel God to heal us? It raises lots of practical questions. Um, Even like I said, between services, I had people come up and ask questions. I had people come up and ask for prayer. I had one little boy come up. He was five. He was cute. He said, Pastor Mark, can I ask you two questions? Yeah, buddy. His first question was, why are your sermons so long? true story well, I'm just going to have to suffer through that brother there's no healing there's no healing I'm just going to have to endure persevere little buddy and then uh, his second question was could you pray for my ears I have trouble hearing yeah prayed for this beautiful little boy Pray for him it raises questions raises questions. So what I want to do is I want to to spend a little time answering what I find to be the most common questions, some of those were presented this week on social media, so that you can interpret your own experience, that you can help others interpret their experience, and that as we continue in John and you see other healing miracles, you have a a biblical understanding of what's going on and why. So let let me start with this. Jesus' ministry includes healing. This promise is given 700 years before Jesus walks the earth through the ancient prophet Isaiah. He has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. One of the things I want to tell you about the Lord Jesus is an echo and an intimation from a line in Hebrews that he can sympathize. When you go to Jesus and you say, I need inner healing, I am filled with grief and sorrow. Jesus says, I understand that. When you go to Jesus with physical ailments or injury, Jesus says, I understand that as well. Jesus suffered internally and externally. As a result, he can sympathize. I find it amazing that we had a God who was separated from the suffering that we experience And he chose to take upon himself a human body and enter into human history and to experience the internal and the external pain, suffering, grief, sorrow, and anguish that we do. That's amazing to me. So when you go to Jesus and you say, man, grief and sorrow. Jesus, I need inner healing. He says, I understand that. Pierced, crushed, afflicted, chastised, wounded. Jesus, physically, I am broken and beaten and battered. And Jesus says, I know exactly what you're going through. And he will walk with you through that valley of the shadow of death. It's a journey that he has already made. If you're here, don't question God. Bring your questions to God. Don't accuse God, but trust God and give no place for the accuser. He was pierced. Well, we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. He was pierced. This is, this is a prediction of Jesus' crucifixion, that he would be pierced, nailed to a Roman crossbar through the most sensitive nerve centers on the human body, the hands and the feet. And not only does this predict Jesus' crucifixion, this predicts crucifixion. At this point, there is no record in all of human history that people were crucified. The Bible not only tells us what is going to happen to Jesus, it tells us things that don't even exist yet but are coming into being. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace or shalom or wholeness. That Hebrew concept is that everything is the way that God intended for it to be. That there's harmony, peace, and order. It's the world as God made it before we destroyed it. And with his wounds we are Healed. Inner healing, outer healing. Emotional healing, physical healing. Question Does it tell us when? Yes or no? No. It doesn't say by his wounds we are healed in this life if we have enough faith. We are healed guaranteed. Doesn't say that. Doesn't tell us when. You need to know this. All of God's children will experience physical healing. The question is not if, the question is when. Some will receive physical healing in this life, and they will still die and need to be raised from death. All of God's children will experience complete, total, final healing in the kingdom of God in the presence of Jesus. So we need to be careful that we don't just grab God's promises And demand that they happen at the time frame that we decree. I'll give you another one, just comes to mind. God works out all things for the good of those who love and are called according to his purpose, Romans 8.28. And it doesn't say in this life. Need to be very careful that we don't take God's promises and put them on the calendar and demand a deadline that he does not agree to. Need to be careful. Okay? But Jesus' ministry can and does include inner and outer. Healing. This raises a whole bunch of questions. Let me look at the first one. Does healing replace traditional medicine? Um, I've actually got a couple of questions that were sent in on social media this week. And I printed them out because I'm too old to use technology. Um, here's one from Caitlin. She says This question has been on my mind for a while now. I've had the church leaders put their hands on me and pray. The Bible says to do that. And I've prayed, and I've gone through counseling, and still the pain remains. I've been told that as a result, I don't have enough faith to receive the healing. I'm always looking to the scriptures to back things up. That's great. I just have not understood why I've not been healed yet. Thank you for your help. There's something called faith healing, and it's false teaching. And false teaching is that you can make God heal you if you have enough faith you will force god to do your will and if you're not healed or your prayer is not answered it's your fault because you lacked faith what this just this is this is so frustrating for me as a pastor you take someone who's burdened and you give them an additional burden You give a person who is suffering additional suffering. And then what you do, you send people looking, where is the secret hidden sin in your life? And sometimes there is. And sometimes there's not. There's a guy named Job in the Bible. It says that he is a very righteous man. And his whole life is just shattered and wrecked. Kids die Wealth taken, reputation destroyed, health decimated. Nobody had any idea what was going on because this was Satan asking to attack him. And as a result, it revealed his faith. Had nothing to do with punishment or sin. There are things that go on in the unseen that we have no concept of or understanding of. Poor Job, the only things he did have were his wife and his friends. And I use that term very loosely. His wife said, why don't you just curse God and die? So she did not have the gift of encouragement. She was not a big help. (laughs) Right. And then his buddies, right, they sound like guys in Bible college who have no experience on the job. They just show up and argue with him over and over and over because for them it's all theological and theoretical. It's not personal and practical. Where's your sin? What have you done wrong? What do you need to confess? And Job's like, look, I, I don't know. And sometimes people in those conditions, they just become obsessive. What have I said? What have I done? Where is my secret sin? God, why are you punishing me? God, why are you opposing me? And let me just say that a lot of times when a question is asked, the answer is, I don't know. The Bible says, who has known the mind of the Lord? God's not expecting anybody to raise their hand. (laughs) Oh, I do. It's a rhetorical question. The Bible says that we see in part and we know in part. That faith is trusting what is unseen. And sometimes when this bad teaching happens, people don't even go to the doctor. I don't need to go to the doctor, I need to have faith. And if I go to the doctor, that'll show that I don't have faith and I do have faith. There are whole cults and false teachings that discourage people from certain medical treatment. And then if they struggle or suffer or die, or tragically, if their child dies, then the leadership says, ah, you didn't have enough faith. The difference between Christianity and paganism, Paganism can exist in a myriad of religions and false teachings and spiritualities and ideologies. Paganism says you can make God do what you want. If you have enough faith, if you pray enough, if you give enough, if you suffer enough, if you reincarnate enough, if you do something, then God is obligated to do what you want. It's like an arm wrestling match. You're like, okay, God, here's what I want. Oh, look, I got down on a rug and I preached three times a day and I gave 10% and I suffered and I memorized the verses and now you have to heal me or bless me. I win, you lose God. No, that's a complete misunderstanding of God. That's a God that you have to make be good. God is good. God is good. And God is also free to do whatever God believes is best and knows is right. I'm a dad. My kids come to me and they make requests, and the answer is yes, no and later. We call that prayer in the Christian life. God, would you heal me? Yes. No. For all of God's children, at the very worst, it's later. It's later. The Bible says that God is a great physician. He should tell you he's okay with doctors. Amen? It's OK. Do you know that the person who writes more of the New Testament than anyone is a doctor? His name is Luke. He writes the book of Luke and the book of Acts. It's the sequential history of Jesus and Jesus' people. And he's a doctor. We read of him in Colossians 4.14. Luke, the beloved physician, he's a doctor. He travels a lot with a guy named Paul. Paul is really good at getting beaten up and starting riots. Those are really his... (laughs) That's on his LinkedIn page. He's really good at <laughs> starting riots and taking beatings. Okay? And so he needs a little medical help. So who travels with him? Luke, his doctor and friend. If you ever asked, how did how did Paul recover from that? Luke traveled with him and sometimes ministered to him. Okay. Obviously, God is not against doctors if the majority of the New Testament is written by a doctor. Obviously God is not against going to the Lord in prayer and going to the doctor for counsel if the person who tells us in the book of Acts about the healings in the New Testament is a medical doctor. You see this? So here's what I would tell you. Go to the Lord and go to the doctor. And ask the Lord to heal you and ask the doctor to help you and allow the Lord to make the decision for the resolution. For those of you that are doctors, nurses, you're in the caring and healing professions, you're counselors, thank you. God works through his people and he also works through you and we appreciate you. How about this um, question? Is all healing from God? What happens when people are suffering or someone they love is suffering, they become frantic. I've seen godly people just do... Unbelievable things when they are going to die or someone they love is going to die. I've seen them bring in other religious leaders, shamans, go to places. I mean, just craziness. Just abandon their Christian beliefs. Because they just want the healing so bad they don't care about the source of the healing. There is healing in other religions. There are certain people that are demonically empowered to physically heal. Jesus warns us about them, Matthew 24, 24. False Christs, false prophets will arise and perform great signs and wonders so as to lead astray, if possible, even the elect. Satan will heal you so that he can damn you. He's willing to allow a little reprieve in this life in exchange for the eternal life. If he can get you to abandon Jesus, then he's willing to even answer your prayer. So I want you to know when you're struggling, when you're suffering, you have to ask yourself, is my highest priority my relationship with Jesus or my physical healing? If your highest priority is your physical healing, you're like, then I'm going to go find whatever God or goddess Whatever religion or spirituality will give me my healing and I'm willing to sacrifice my relationship with Jesus for my healing. And what I'm telling you is, Satan and demons, they don't provide any inner healing, only torment. And they don't provide any eternal healing, only torment. And so it becomes very short-sighted to exchange a season of pain for an eternity of pain separated from Jesus. I am sorry that you are suffering. I'm sorry that the people that you love are suffering. And sometimes people don't need answers. They need love and presence. They need us to come alongside and just say, I don't know, but I love you, and I'm here for you, and you will not be alone. It is that ministry of presence. And so, for those of you who are suffering, or you love someone who is suffering... With all affection as your pastor who loves you, I understand that, I grieve that, I mourn that, I see that. But I would rather have you be with Jesus than have a physical healing and a relationship with Satan. Okay? And Jesus warns about this. So you may hear, this religion, that religion, this leader, this event, this activity, this supernatural process. People are getting healed. And I would say, don't even deny that. I just want to question the source of that. Because I I don't want anything that's not from Jesus. Jesus gives gifts. Anything that's not given from Jesus is not a gift. The, uh, The question that prompted this. We'll skip it. Next one. There's so much I could say. We're talking about healing. And at some point, we need to have an end of the sermon hypothetically. <laughs> Can everyone receive healing in this life? That's a question. It's a good question. Here's a person who asked something similar. My question is somewhat selfish, but I was an extremely healthy person. Everyone in my family is, and every one I am friends with seems to be a healthy person. About 10 years ago, it's a long time, I was driving to work and involved in a pretty bad car accident that broke my neck. There was thankfully no paralysis, but the injury required four very serious surgeries. In the end, I live in chronic pain. How many of you know what that feels like? Chronic pain. And have had countless medical procedures and injections, not to mention very dangerous painkillers to deal with. It has also caused me to be on disability instead of working, and even became the reason, maybe, for a divorce. Pain upon pain, grief upon grief, loss upon loss. I absolutely have faith that I can be healed. However, I've been prayed over countless times, and have had so many people praying for me daily. I certainly appreciate their prayers, and I am thankful each day for the ability to still do a few things I can. Is there any way to explain why God might heal someone and why he might not heal someone else? Can God heal? Yes. Does everyone get healed in the eternal life, if they are a child of God? Yes. Does everyone get healed in this life? No. No. Okay. Some will then try to find sections of Scripture that require that God heal. Oftentimes, they will quote a man named Paul. Here's what he says. 2 Timothy 4.20 He's making a journey. He's going from one place to another. And there was a guy traveling with him, part of his leadership team. I left Trophimus who was ill at Miletus. What he says is we were going to bring him, but he was sick or injured. The guy who writes the Bible leaves the sick guy behind because God didn't heal him yet. He's still sick. Did he not have faith? He's on a missionary journey with Paul and made the Bible. I'm just going to say, it seems like he's doing pretty good to me. Does he have any secret sin in his life? Doesn't talk about that. Is God punishing him? Doesn't say that. Here's what it says. He's sick. Everything beyond that speculation. There are certain things you go, I don't know. I just want to be here, love, comfort, be present, be compassionate, be empathetic. But I don't know. How about Paul? Much of what we know about faith is written by Paul. So some people quote Paul and say, if you have faith, then you will get what you want. Here's what Paul says 2 Corinthians 12, 7 through 9. A thorn was given me in the flesh. This is some sort of physical bodily ailment or injury or, or some sort of recurring chronic pain or suffering. There's a big debate as to what this is. But but he is suffering, he is struggling. Say, so, well, did Paul not have enough faith? He wrote books of the Bible. If he doesn't have enough faith, I don't have a lot of hope. Did he not trust God? He trusted God. Was there secret sin in his life? doesn't seem to be. Does God hate him and punish him? No. Jesus died for him, so God's not punishing him. A messenger of Satan to harass me. It's demonic. It's demonic. Sometimes... Sometimes physical suffering is the result of spiritual attacking. That's what I told you. Seven times, I believe it is, Jesus heals people by demonic deliverance. And as a result, healing comes. To keep me from becoming conceited, Paul struggled with pride and arrogance. And this kept him humble. Three times I pleaded with the Lord. I begged of the Lord. Just like this dad goes to Jesus and he's begging, heal my little boy. Three times. that it should lead me. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in weakness. God gives his presence to Paul in his suffering. He doesn't remove the problem, but he adds his presence. Okay. Some of you, God will remove the problem and we'll rejoice with you. But even if God doesn't remove the problem, you still want to enjoy his presence. That comfort, that empathy, that love, that compassion. That's why sometimes people that have been through the worst affliction say it was the worst thing in my life. I didn't want it. I beg God to take it from me but it has caused me to have a deep love and appreciation for Jesus, and it has shaped my character to be more like him. I am dependent upon God in a way that I otherwise would not be. I do not like what I am going through, but I do like who I am becoming. Okay. I want you to be healed. If you belong to the Lord Jesus... Ultimately, eternally, you will be healed. And even sometimes the godliest people like Paul or Job or Jesus suffer physically. And just because you're suffering doesn't mean you're ungodly. So I love you and I want to encourage you. Some of the godliest people suffered the most. God himself suffered the most. So then the question that comes up a lot, and this one comes from a a pastor's wife named Jess. She says, uh, why does healing seem so prominent in the New Testament, but not now in our current day? How many of you have had that same question? Like I read the Bible. People are getting healed all over. It doesn't happen anymore. What happened? A lot of the record of healing is in a book of the Bible called Acts. It's the history of the early church. It's written by Paul, or excuse me, Luke, who is a medical doctor, and he's verifying the healings. If memory serves me correct, Acts has 28 chapters. Twelve of those chapters have a healing. That's a lot, amen? How many of you have sat down in a day and read Acts, and you're like, that's crazy. Healing, demonic deliverance. Th- Where's all the action? Where's all the action? Why don't we do that? Here's a little secret. Acts covers more than 30 years of history. You can read it in a day, but it didn't happen in a day. Right? Sometimes we can lose the historical timeline. Because otherwise you read it in a day, you're like, look at all that. Over 30 years. Okay, I've been a Christian now for almost 30 years. I have seen people healed. I have seen people delivered from demonic oppression. I've had prophetic dreams and visions. I believe fully in the supernatural. There are inexplicable things that God has done in my life and the life of others. And if I sat down and wrote them down, you'd be like, that's amazing. But it was about 30 years. It wasn't all on a Tuesday. (laughs) That's why we call them miracles and not Tuesdays, right? It's unusual. Most of the time, we're living normal life. And then the king shows up, and the kingdom shows up, and some things do happen, and God is revealed in a glorious way, and it gives us faith and hope for the future as we continue along the journey. Back to the story the dad jumps on the horse, rides the 18 miles to Jesus. Heal my son. Jesus says, Your son will be healed. You trust me by faith, eventually it will be sight, you need to now journey home. And what he received was a sign. Signs exist to point us along a journey toward a destination. Once you get to the destination, you don't need the signs anymore. So some years ago, by way of example, the kids wanted to go to uh, the Grand Canyon so we jump in the cars. The signs come. Not every you know, inch of the journey do we have a sign. They're, they're strategically positioned that you realize, okay, you're getting there. Keep going. 70 miles to the Grand Canyon. 50 miles to the Grand Canyon. 30 miles to the Grand Canyon. 10 miles to the Grand Canyon. 1 mile to the Grand Canyon. You get out of the car. You go up to the Grand Canyon. You know what there is not in the middle of the Grand Canyon? Another sign that says Grand Canyon right because you just know you're there you're not like where where is it All right where is it oh thankfully there was a billboard you know oh that's what the hole in the ground is well look at that you know the signs get you to the place once you're at the place the signs have achieved their purpose they're no longer needed the healings the miracles the supernatural the deliverances those are signs those are signs pointing to our home in the kingdom of God. So if you get a supernatural provision, a supernatural healing, God shows up, praise God, let the rest of us know, because we all are encouraged by that sign. And what this father had, he had faith, but he didn't have sight until he got home. You and I are in the same historic position as this dad. We are promised the resurrection of the dead. We are promised eternal life. We are promised comfort and peace and provision in the presence of God forever. And we're not there yet. Just like he had to go home, we're going home. And as he had to trust along the journey, we had to trust along the journey. And he got a sign and along the way, we get some signs that encourage us that we're going the right direction. We're headed toward home. Home. This little boy got healed. Here's my question. Is he still alive today? No? Well, he's alive in the presence of Jesus, but he's not walking around on the earth. Now, I hope he lived a long good life. I hope he grew up. I hope he married a dream girl. They had cute babies. That he became a grandpa, got an Oldsmobile, drove his grandbabies around for ice cream. I hope all of that. But at some point, even though he was healed, he still needed to be resurrected. Even though his life was extended, he needed his eternal life granted. So Jesus comes, and he lives, and he suffers, and he dies, and he rises to defeat death once for all. And this man, John, who writes this story, he was Jesus' best friend. He writes another book of the Bible called Revelation that tells us about home. Tells us about the kingdom of God, how it's all going to be when it's all said and done. Here's what it says. He will wipe every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning nor crying nor pain for the former things have passed away. So when my kids were little, they'd get hurt and they'd be crying. So what I'd do as a dad, I'd squat down, old catcher position so I could look them in the eye. And I'd ask questions like, what happened? Where does it hurt? And then they would tell me. While they were what? While they were crying. So what I'd do is I'd put my arms out and I'd say, okay, come come to me. I'd kiss them on the head, rub their back, pray for them, soothe them. They're breathing, they're crying, they're struggling, they're scared. And then I'd take their little face, and I'd look at them, I'd smile, and what would I do? Wipe the tears from their eyes. If you belong to Jesus, you're going to close your eyes, you're going to open them, and the Bible says you're going to see him face to face. And you're going to be crying. Jesus, life was hard. The pain was real. The inner and the outer both suffered. Jesus will say, come here. I love you. Welcome home. There's no more death. There's no more mourning. No more crying. I made it all better. And then Jesus is going to take his hands. And what are you going to see in his hands, friend? The scars of crucifixion. And Jesus is going to take those nail-scarred hands, and he's going to grab you by the face, and he's going to wipe the tears from your eyes, and he's going to kiss you on the head, and he's going to tell you that he's taken care of everything forever. Father God, I pray for these dear people to have faith to believe the word of God. Holy Spirit, I pray for perseverance along the journey for these dear people. Lord Jesus, for those who are suffering physically today, we do pray for healing. Lord, we would ask that they would experience it in this life. And we thank you for the promise that all of your children upon the resurrection of the dead will experience full, complete, and total healing forever. Lord Jesus, for those here who need inner healing, their heart is broken, their soul is weary, their days are burdened, their fears are real. Holy Spirit, will you come and give them inner healing? Please lift their burdens. Please please lighten their load. Please lessen their fears. And Lord God, we, we believe that faith comes by hearing the word of God. This man, this man knew very little, but he obeyed what he knew. Help us to both obey what we know and learn more. And Lord Jesus, sometimes we get answers to our questions, but most of the time we just need your presence. We need the person and the presence of the Holy Spirit to be in our midst, to help us to to shed our tears, and to mourn, and to process, and to heal, at least at the level of the heart and the soul. So, Father God, I pray that this would be a time of healing for your people. An unburdening, a lifting, an encouraging. As we venture toward home, may we celebrate the signs along the way, where the King and the Kingdom show up, knowing that eventually, all there will be is the King and the Kingdom. Lord Jesus, we thank you that you have conquered death. We thank you that we will be in your presence resurrected together forever. And Lord Jesus, for my dear friends, I pray as their eyes are closed and their heart is hopeful that they would see your face and see your arms open and know that you will embrace them. And once you wipe every tear from every eye, there will be no more tears because everything will be okay at the father's house. Amen. Amen.